Hey guys, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So we're starting chapter 15 with Surah Al-Isra. So this surah was revealed while the Prophet was in Mecca, and it's been 12 years that he's been fighting with the non-believers, trying to get them to open their eyes, and the Muslims were dealing with a lot of difficulty. And so it was very natural for anyone to feel discouraged that, you know, they weren't winning. So Allah blessed the Prophet with this journey, famously known as the Night of Miraj, to give him confidence and hope. This is when Angel Jibreel came down and took the Prophet on this journey on a horse known as Barak. Angel Jibreel took him from the Kaaba to Masjid al-Aqsa, that's all the way in Jerusalem, where the Prophet offered prayer. And from there, Angel Jibreel took him all the way up to heaven. There are seven levels of Jannah and on each level, the Prophet met other Prophets. And once he reached the seventh level, that is where he spoke with Allah. He didn't see Allah with his own eyes, just spoke to him. And that's when Allah gifted the Prophet with Salah. It actually started at 50, but then the Prophet was able to bring it down to 5, knowing that his people would not be able to do 50. And on his way back, the Prophet was shown Jannah and Hell. He was shown other signs and he even led Fajr prayer with all the Prophets that ever came. So the Surah begins by telling us that Allah is the Almighty One that took the Prophet on this miraculous journey to show him special signs and give him instructions. So as we see here, before this, Salah wasn't mandatory or official. Allah gifted the Prophet and the Muslims Salah in response to their struggles for the past 12 years. So Allah is now addressing everyone, you know, including the Jews, that the Prophet just came back with a special message, so you better listen to him. He reminds the Jews that Allah sent them Musa with the Torah to guide them, that you all came from Noah's people. He's telling them that whatever message your ancestors brought, this is that same message. How can you be so blind and not see that? that we are trying to share with you the same message that your people had followed before you changed the message. Allah says He knew that the people of Bani Israel would lose their way twice. So the first time the Bani Israel started spreading corruption, Allah sent people who were twice as strong as them to destroy their city and their people, to punish them. And once they learned their lesson and changed themselves, Allah strengthened them with money, wealth, and children. Then again, the second time when they went astray, Allah sent down an even bigger destruction to guide them back. This is a lesson for us and them as well, that punishment only comes to us when we are doing something wrong. In Ramadan, all of us have changed our actions, right? But what about after? Most of us will go back to all the things that we were doing wrong. So what do you think is gonna happen? Of course, all those problems will also come back. So many of us get so relaxed when things are good in our lives that we think, uh, it's okay if I just go to one party or I do this just one time. You think it's one time, but it always ends up being more than once. This whole punishment thing is completely up to you. If you don't want to be punished, then stop doing the wrong things you're doing. Stop convincing yourself that, eh, it's just not a big deal. I'm not drinking alcohol or killing anyone. I'm just having a little bit of innocent fun. You know deep down that the things you're doing are wrong, yet you still make excuses. And well, you can if you want, but be prepared for the punishment too. Allah says that on the day of judgment, all of your deeds will be presented in a book. Every single deed, tiny or big, will be shown to you. Your hands will speak of all the wrongs that you did. Your feet will speak of all the wrong places that you went with them. Your eyes will speak of all the wrong things that you saw with them. Are you prepared to answer for all of those deeds? What excuse will you have? Allah says there are so many people who are worried about their ranks in the world, their financial status and how rich and successful they are compared to others, how many more homes and cars they have, who makes more money. But none of those ranks actually matter. Allah says, who cares about those stupid ranks? They are a distraction. The only real rank that matters is the rank that you have with Allah. In the verses following, Allah has given us specific commands which our lives and society should be built on. Allah says, do not worship any god but Allah. And also, 
be good to your parents. Even in their old age, do not even say oof to them. Always speak to them with respect. Do you see the order Allah is giving these commands? This just shows how important it is to respect and care for your parents, even if they are bad parents, even if they treat you badly. This is a test for you. Of course, they will be held accountable with Allah for all of their actions, so don't think that all of their abuse won't go by unnoticed. No, they will be held accountable. But your job is to always remain respectful and make dua to Allah for your parents, always. Allah says to take care of your close relatives, help them out financially, take care of your community, and do not be wasteful with your money. Don't buy stuff just because you feel like it. Of course, it's very easy to want to spend the money you work so hard to make, right? But think twice about it. Do you really need it? Why are you actually buying this? Is it so that people in society can look at your fancy Gucci shoes and you can show them how successful you are? Don't even deny it. That's the only reason why people wear branded clothes nowadays. Allah says don't be stingy with your money, meaning spend it on your family and your loved ones. Buying gifts is okay, but also, do not be extravagant. Don't be so extra. Like how a lot of the weddings in our society are today. Of course, the families want to celebrate their daughter's marriage and they want the best of the best. And of course, I'm sure she deserves it too, but sometimes it gets too much. People end up spending the same amount of money that they can use to buy a house. That is not right. Again, people will say, well, it's my money, I earned it. I can spend it however I want. Well, actually your money belongs to Allah and Allah has told you how you should and shouldn't spend your money, but we don't care. We'd rather spend it to show off to people how magical and grand my wedding was. Allah says do not kill your children in fear of poverty because at that time people would casually just kill their children if they thought they couldn't afford to take care of them. Allah said no, I am the ultimate provider. I will provide for them just as I have provided for every other creature in this world. Allah says do not even approach zina or anything that might lead to it. That includes having a boyfriend and girlfriend. Allah says do not kill any person that Allah has forbidden. Do not take the property of the orphan. Always be fair, just, and honorable. Do not cheat people. Do not follow anything blindly, whether it's Islamic life, the trends in the world, morals. Always do your own research. And lastly, do not be arrogant. So these were the principles that Allah gave us so that we can create a successful society and live a successful life. Allah says that everything in this world is in constant praise to Allah. The birds chirping, the plants, everything is in constant praise of Allah. So what should we do? We should do the same. So what's the best tasbih that you might ask? That's light on the tongue and super powerful? Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanallahi ladheem. This is the best zikr that you can make. Allah is telling us that the haters will always say mean things to you, but no matter what, always speak good to everyone. Always speak nicely to everyone. Allah tells the disbelievers again, you can call upon whoever you want, your idols, your saints, your prophets, whoever none of them will be able to help you. And this goes for us as well too. Very innocently, we'll call out to the Prophet or his descendants or a great religious scholar for help. This is considered shirk. Allah saying that the people that you're calling out to for help, they end up calling me for help. So just come directly to me instead. The Prophet then told his people about Allah's command for us to make salah five times a day. This was the gift, the solution Allah gave to the Muslims to help increase their confidence in Iman. It was told to the Prophet, peace be upon him, that we should recite the Qur'an during Fajr time specifically, that there are extra angels who enjoy hearing the Qur'an being recited at that time. So definitely recite the Qur'an at each prayer, but recite more during Fajr time. So again, people accuse the Prophet of either making this Qur'an up himself, and Allah tells them, Prophet lived with you people for 40 years before he became an actual Prophet. 
He was uneducated. You know and remember the way he used to talk, his style of talking. An uneducated person could never come up with something like the Quran. Even you people weren't even able to replicate it. So how do you think the Prophet peace be upon him did? Some people would wonder, how could a messenger of Allah be a human? Why wasn't it an angel? Allah says an angel could have come down to give the message, but they wouldn't have been able to do much more. Why? Well, because angels weren't given the knowledge like humans have. That's the main difference between human and angels. That's the whole reason why Allah created Adam and why all the angels bow down to him. Because Allah gave humans knowledge. So of course, it's like expecting a robot messenger to be able to live amongst humans, talk to people, grow a society, engage with people, so an angel couldn't do that. Only a human could. Again, the people ask for a sign and some might be wondering, why doesn't Allah just show a sign as he's done in the past? The thing was, just as in the past, Allah would show a huge miracle and people still wouldn't believe. And once Allah shows a major miracle, those people's times they have to decide is shortened drastically because once a major sign is shown, you have no reason not to believe. And if you are still not believing after that, well then that's it, there's no hope for you. And the people are wiped away. Now the Prophet ﷺ has already shown a few miracles, but the Prophet knew that if Allah showed a major miracle, then their time would be up and they would be wiped away. So instead, Allah decided to just give them more time to absorb the Quran. Allah references Prophet Musa's story. All his people asked for a sign from him, and Musa showed nine signs. The staff that turned into a snake, Musa's hand that shined light like the sun, Musa's staff that destroyed the magic during the magician showdown at the palace, the famine that he brought down, the storms, the locusts, bugs, lice, frogs, and the rain of blood. Musa showed nine signs, major signs, and yet the people still didn't believe. They said that he was a magician. They would always somehow end up making up some excuse. Even today, if we see a magic trick, we aren't going to think that person is God, right? We come up with explanations. This is why Allah says, you'd think that a miracle would be enough for them, but it's not. That's why Allah says, base your beliefs on the principles of the Quran. We're only in chapter 15, but we've read the principles so far and they aren't evil. They aren't something super wild and crazy. They are literally advice and commands that Allah gave us so that we can have a successful life and society. The Pharaoh at the time, of course, did his best to make Musa look like a fake and reject his message. And look what happened. He was wiped away. So this is an example for all those disbelievers that this is what will happen to you too if you keep trying to reject the message. So this is where Surah Al-Isra ends and the chapter continues with Surah Al-Kaf. So Surah Kaf, which basically means cave, was revealed again during a situation where the people of Quraysh, the non-believers, were trying to expose the Prophet by asking him certain questions about the past regarding Christian and Jewish histories. Since of course the Prophet claimed that the Quran has the same message as their Torah and Bible. So they asked the Prophet about three things. The sleepers of the cave, the story of Khidr, and the story of Zulkarnain. So of course, the Quraysh put the Prophet on the spot and bam, Allah sent down the stories in a divine revelation. So the surah starts off by saying, All praise is to Allah who revealed this book to us as a source of truth and guidance. That it's a very straightforward book with very clear commands and it is very easy to understand. Those who accept it will be rewarded and those who don't, well, you've heard it enough times, they are punished. Since the Christians and Jews are all listening right now to the Prophet tell the story, Allah takes this chance to tell them again that he has no son and anyone that makes up such a lie has no idea what they're talking about. Allah tells the Prophet that if they don't believe in this message, don't frustrate yourself to death. Because during this time, what was the biggest cause of anxiety of the Prophet? It wasn't the problems and violence his people were experiencing. It was the sadness from not being able to save the people who refused to believe. SubhanAllah, 
That was the character of the Prophet, peace be upon him. The Prophet tries to explain to the people again that you people are becoming lost enjoying all these little things in the world that you forgot that this is all a test. Yes, it's okay to enjoy the world, but we shouldn't forget that our first priority is making Allah happy. Everything else is a distraction. You're running to the finish line where there is gold waiting for you, but you keep stopping because you keep getting distracted by ants on the ground. So the story goes that there were a group of young men who ran away from home because the emperor at the time was killing anyone who believed in God. Now these were young men, so I think that could have been from 18 to 21, only Allah knows. But point is, at that age, who would even care about religion? Who would care enough that they'd leave their home and their city behind? They could have easily just lied and gone on with their lives, but no, they were true to their faith. So they ran, and it's said that a dog followed, and eventually they found a cave. They asked Allah for guidance, and their iman was so strong that Allah decided that he would help them out. So they fell asleep. With Allah's command, they slept for over 300 years. Yeah, 300. And then when they woke up, they woke up as if it was just the next morning. Allah preserved their bodies and made sure that no one found them. So once they woke up, you know, they were hungry, and so they sent one of the young men out to go back to the city carefully and bring back some food. So he goes, and he sees that everything has changed. It looks so different, even people's clothes are different. He tries getting something to eat and uses the coins that he had, and the shopkeeper sees that these coins are ancient. So he assumed that this guy must have stolen some ancient treasure, and so he reports him to the guards, who then take him to the current king. The king and everyone at that time were all Christian. The young man found out from his conversation with the king that he was asleep for 300 years. So the young man takes the king back to the cave where the rest of the young men were. And as soon as they go inside, Allah takes away all their souls. So what did the Christians do? They built a museum out of the cave to preserve it as a miracle of God. And surprisingly, that museum is still there today. So Allah makes it clear in the Quran that some people say there were actually three young men and a dog, and some say there were four, seven. But Allah specifically says that he left this detail out on purpose because it doesn't matter. All that matters is the lesson to be learned, that Allah is in charge of life and death, and Allah always takes care of the believers. Our job is to put in the effort, and Allah will do the rest. Allah says, don't say that you will do something tomorrow without saying inshallah first, which means, I hope Allah guides me in this matter. Because, I mean, you have no idea whether you'll even wake up tomorrow. You can plan all you want, and you don't even know if what you're going to do is actually good for you. So by saying inshallah, you're basically asking Allah to help you make the best decision. Allah asks, why are these people letting shaitan convince them that we are evil? We are trying to do what's best for them. We're trying to help them and guide them. We aren't asking them for money or to give up their property or anything. We're bringing you the same original message that your prophets brought. We believe in the same God, and this God of ours is trying to get you back on track. We have the same stories that your books do. In fact, our stories are more accurate. The prophet, peace be upon him, an uneducated man could not have copied all of these stories or learned them and then written them in such a way that even your best scholars can't write that good. And yet you people still don't believe. Allah says on the day of judgment, all your deeds, big and small, will appear in a book. You will be so shocked to see that really, even the tiniest deed was recorded. That at 11.35, Tuesday, January 2018, you were scrolling through Instagram and liked a pic of a girl in a bikini. Or 12 a.m. midnight, Friday, April 2019, you littered a chewing gum wrapper. You might think that these are just super tiny bad deeds, but they add up. When you're turning in your homework assignment, you're trying to get a passing grade of 60%, right? But on every exam, you keep getting tiny points marked off. And at the end of the semester, those tiny points are what makes a huge difference between passing your classes and having to take it again the next semester. 
But in this case, it'll be the difference between spending your life in a burning hell or paradise. Allah is saying seriously, the Quran has tried explaining in every way possible, through logic, through emotions, through hope, fear, through poetry, through reward. The thing is, most non-believers don't even give the Quran a chance. But I mean, for us Muslims who have the Quran sitting on our shelves, what reason do we have not for listening? So now we learn the story of Khidr. This story took place during the time of Prophet Musa Someone asked Musa, who's the smartest person in the world? And Musa said, uh, I think I am. I mean, after all, I am the Prophet, so I'm probably the smartest. And well, Allah did not like this response. So Allah told Musa, hey, you know, there's actually another servant of mine who is smarter than you. And of course, Musa was curious. He wanted to know who this person was and wanted to meet him and learn from him. So he went out and found him. The man's name was Khidr. And so the prophet approaches him and says, can I learn from you? Can you please teach me your ways? Khidr responds by saying, trust me, you won't have the patience to understand. And Musa of course said, no, 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 inshallah, I will be patient and I'll follow whatever you say. So Khidr said, fine, but don't ask any questions until I explain to you myself. And Musa said, okay, fine, no questions. And so they begin. This is where chapter 15 ends. Yeah, I know, cliffhanger, but it gets really good. Surah Al-Kahf continues into chapter 16. 